Merry Christmas, everybody. I had a habit and still do say Merry Christmas every day, even as an army chaplain. And it was, became a thing when you went through the gate. And I would say Merry Christmas to the guards. And they would have that duty for several months. And they recognized my family. And they would say Merry Christmas to me first. And I would often be asked, why are you saying Merry Christmas every day? And I would say, well, as a Christian, it implies that Christ is alive in me. And if you want to talk more about it, we can. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My name is Matthew Runnels. I I, uh, lived here and served here for several years, and it is truly a humbling thing to come back and preach to this congregation. While I was leaving was when uh, this congregation was actually in the purchase of this building and to see the fruits of all those decisions and the labor and the continued efforts of the church is great to see. As an army chaplain, our first duty station with my family was at Fort Carson, Colorado, where we had mountain lions in our backyard and our playgrounds waiting for little chicken nuggets to come and play with them. And then we moved to Hawaii which was a great place. It allowed me to get back into, into sailing, and it really is paradise. But there is, uh, what really surprised me about Hawaii was that there was an amazing amount of spiritual darkness in the place of paradise, and it was a daily reminder to me that even the greatest places on earth are still fallen and dead. And it encouraged me to pray for our Savior's return. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And currently, my family is in the process of moving from Hawaii to South Carolina, Fort Jackson, where I am going to go to an advanced chaplain school. Uh, it basically it teaches you how to turn water into wine, exorcisms, walking on water, a lot of great stuff. But I have found in my time as a chaplain, there is a growing crisis of hopelessness. And when we look out in society, you cannot beg to wonder, why, O oh Lord Jesus, have you not returned? And I guess that implies that there is more good work to be done. When we think of the word hope, What is the first thing that might come to your mind? What is that? For me, hope is an acronym. As a chaplain, you know, you don't know when somebody comes and wants to talk to you if they really want the hokey pokey chaplain, you know, a place to just turn yourself around. Or if they are really wrestling with something and you have a sit down conversation with them. I'm always asked two questions as a chaplain, or actually three questions. Why did you decide this? And there's a long conversation. Sometimes I just joke, well, I'm just lazy. I didn't really want to carry a weapon. I wanted you to do that. (laughs) Other times, you know, the question is, um, what do you do? What what do you do with, you know, your day and day? And you just kind of like, well, I just go around talking with people. And the third question is, and this is really from, uh, from people who are not in the military, they come real close to me and they say, Chaplain, I know your job must be tough. 
do they let you talk about Jesus? I said, well, yeah, that's part of my job. Actually, according to Army regulation, my job is to be, in essence, the moral compass for the commander. And it is truly a humbling position to be when you go before a man or woman who has been bestowed an immense amount of earthly power and to tell them with great humility, Sir, you're wrong. We are missing the mark. And to be a voice for those who may not feel like they have much. In most movies, in most books of a dystopian setting, hope is a very dangerous aspect. For those of you who might remember uh, Hunger Games, or if you like that, you might recall President Snow, who is the leader of the capital of Pan Am, or whatever you call that place, and he's having this conversation with the game maker, and he says, listen, what you're doing right now is dangerous because you're giving the people too much hope. If you give them too much, they're going to rebel. If you give them too little, they won't be submissive. You have to find the balance because hope is dangerous. And why is it that hope is such a necessity as a Christian? You might think of several verses to come to your mind. Found in the Psalms, perhaps, in uh, uh, chapter 71, verse 14. But I will hope continually, and I will praise thee yet more and more. Psalms 130 is one of my favorite. I will wait for you, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. How is it that a society that at least from my vantage point has a crisis of hopelessness? And I think personally from my perspective, it is perhaps as Christians we have forgotten the vital essence of what hope gives to the believer. Please stand with me with the reading of the word again found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in in vain. Verse 15, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all men are most to be pitied. Please pray with me. Father God, you have provisioned this day to happen. And Lord, we are easily distracted people either with the wanderings of our mind or the worries of our heart. Father, I pray that you give us 
a sense of the security that you give us through the hope of the resurrection. And that will give us a true care and love for the people, for the community that you've placed us in and guide and soften my voice that I am not a distraction to those that you have gathered. And in your Son's name do we pray. Amen. The writer of Corinthians, Paul, is having really a legal debate. He brings up four, uh, six catastrophic topics if Christ has not been resurrected from the dead so what and these were immensely destructive he was so specific with each point of how it connected to the faith of the believer for the daily faith of the believer now out of the six we're only going to look at three and if you look here In verse 12, now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, there was a philosophical mindset during this time, most of us know it as dualism, that anything earthly, anything bodily, was really not wanted. I mean, think about it. They, uh, believers and, and individuals of the time, when they heard this, they were thinking of a literal resurrection from the dead, resurrection from the grave. I mean, who would want to see that? Bodies just popping up. It's like the Christianese version of the walking dead. For most, that just confuses people. What do you mean by this? We're going to be resurrected from the dead. Most philosophical minds did believe that everybody had a sense of divine spark. Now that is much different than being created in the image of God. The philosophical mindset of that each and every single person had a divine spark was really the fact that, or the the belief rather, that if you would die, your soul will then rejoin whatever spiritual entity you were once part of that the earth, your body, was really a tomb, a limitation of what was bound to happen afterwards. And so most philosophers of that time, when they would hear a resurrection of the body, well, why would I want that? I want to be free. Matter of fact, for some people, we might have that perspective of heaven. We're just going to be floating around with some little wings playing harps and stuff. Well, who knows? However, the concept of the, bo- of the body is perhaps one of the most argued topics of today. What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to have a body? And what can I do with that body? Is it mine? Or am I a steward of it? Does it amount to more? Matter of fact, the, the aspect of a resurrected body is solely and only a Christian principle. Why would that be so important of a resurrected body? Well, not only for a Christian is it prophesied that our Savior would resurrect from the dead, but we have a redeeming God, do we not? And after a few ruck marches, 
after jumping out of a few helicopters, I have grown to realize my body is not what it used to be. And I cannot wait to be in heaven without the pain that I feel in my body. And there is something to look forward to in that aspect. That there is a redeeming reality that God says, I am going to recreate everything with the new heaven and the new earth. You see, the first point that we need to wrestle with is found in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our first point is this. What are we taught? What we are taught impacts what we know and where our hope is placed. What we are taught impacts what we know and where our hope is placed. Now I'm going to focus, I'm going to pivot to a verse that perhaps many of you know found in Romans 5 that I think will shed some understanding to this. If you want to turn to Romans 5, we'll be there for a couple of verses or just listen. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. I think that's a pretty important thing to highlight or or underline. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, through Him we have obtained access to His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. There, right there, we understand that a hope for a Christian has to have some sort of eternal significance to our life. That one day we will share the glory of God by the grace that has been given to us. And then he continues, Paul continues in verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Rejoice in our sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. You see, without the hope of the resurrection, what then is the answer to any of the sufferings you and I face on earth. What's the point of it all? Now, I will tell you, I receive a great number of calls as a chaplain from, I don't know how to speak to my wife. Well, stop texting. I don't know how to figure this out. Chaplain, I'm confused. I think the hardest call I ever received was when I had to respond to an injury of an of a, of a infant, no more than six months old, and had to work through that with that couple as they lost their child. There's a big difference between what the world might tell you the sufferings are from earth are from. Well, maybe it was your fault. You know the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy comes with the form of at least. Well, at least you know what pain feels like. At least you know that tomorrow is promised. And empathy is more of an emotional connection. 
You see, what the verse in Corinthians wrestles with is that if there is absolutely no resurrection at all of the body, if there is no hope of eternity, well, then not only do I just become a motivational speaker Sunday morning or when I give words of the day or give counsel to leaders and commanders and to soldiers, that's all I've become reduced to. I'll just give it a good, oh, go next time. Let's work on your coping skills, and maybe it'll get better. And not only does my preaching get reduced to moments of perhaps inspiration or motivation, well, then your faith becomes honestly useless. Because then again, what's the point of going through suffering? A lot of times, people will ask me, Chaplain, you're a physical guy. Have you ever gone to ranger school? Or have you ever thought about going like special forces or something? Do something cool? And I say, hey, listen, brother. Man, look. I haven't been in the army forever, but I do know this. Each day is a daily choice of how much are you willing to suffer. And I've made that choice a couple times. And what you see now it's through those choices. But if I keep making that choice, what left is of me if I do it for my own glory, for doing something cool? You see, we have two hopes. We have to have an earthly hope, and we have to have a spiritually divine hope. We, there's nothing wrong for hoping things while we're living on earth. We're, we're called to whatever we do, do for the glory of God. Are we not? I hope that I can do that. We're called by Micah 6 eight to love mercy, seek justice, and walk humbly with our God. I hope I can do that. I hope as a parent, I can be a good and wise and loving and caring father to my children and I have great hope for their future. When we look at one of the most quoted verses about hope, Jeremiah 29 and 11, for thus says the Lord, I have a great plan for you, a future and a hope. There's nothing wrong with having a great hope for having peace on earth and goodwill to men. It was declared by heaven that that would be so. But if we just stop there, then perhaps our hopes become nothing more than well wishes. I'll never forget when I was going through aerosol school, you have to do two ruck marches. One, the first one was, was only six miles, I say only lightly, and then the last one was 12 miles. You do your 12-mile ruck march starting at about 2.30 in the morning, and you graduate that afternoon. That's the last thing. Unfortunately, we actually had a soldier drop out a half a mile left. Just couldn't do it. The finish line was in sight. And yet, the soldier, from their perspective, could not go any further. And because of that, they failed the school. They have to do the whole thing all over again. What is our hope when we go through our daily life? Because what we are taught is going to impact us. Again, Romans says more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, 
And that hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. To recognize that on this earth there will be suffering for those who live with faith. There will be a certain amount of hardship. As a chaplain, you're assigned to a chapel. My wife and I, we, we prayed about it. We decided to join a, a, a chapel on, on Schofield Barracks, and we changed the name to Schofield Community. And there was a collection of us who would preach, and we would rotate, and we knew we wanted to preach the Word of God and be part of the community. Well, we came through certain passages of the Bible that talked about marriage being defined as a man and a woman, and we had to have that conversation. Are we going to speak boldly and confess our faith, our hope, and what the Word of God says is to be true, or do something else? Lo and behold, we preached the Word of God. And some people would say, did you get into trouble? Well, we actually got a complaint. And what did we do with that complaint? We framed it. We put it on the wall. And lo and behold, the more faithful we were to preaching the Word of God, our congregation grew out of COVID to weekly about 160, 170 people. Why is that? Because as a Christian, we should not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, as it states in 1 Peter. that There is a suffering, but that suffering produces an endurance. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about running the race before us, setting our mind on Christ as the pioneer and perfecter. The word, from, uh, the word run from the Greek is agonos, which is the English word agony. There's a certain reality that as we profess our faith in Christ, there is a cost to it. But the cost is a greater understanding of the love of God who does not forsake us in their times of hardship. And it produces the character that is constantly refined. And this alone should give hope to a parent, hopefully perhaps out there, that says, man, does disciplining my child amount to anything? Why is this so hard? Or perhaps those who have to make the daily choice of going to work in a job that may not be so fulfilling and work with people who may not be so encouraging and say, oh God, what will this ever amount to? Show me. Show me what you are doing. You see, the reality is, if we do not have this hope that anchors our soul, not only is our preaching reduced to nothing and our faith becomes useless, but I personally believe Satan's greatest tool, anxiety, comes very close to our hearts. Because the reality is, what does anxiety do? Anxiety attacks and focuses on one thing. Whatever you believe is to be true, anxiety attacks that. And then it makes us doubt everything we know to be right and good. Perhaps that is why Paul says, whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is righteous, that's what you think of. That's what you dwell on. Because we live in a sinful world. And I don't know about you, but I know for sure there's plenty of things that I can do to just make it 
even worse. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has not been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. There's almost a weekly conversation that I have with some Christian who is is just trying to work through some sort of moral dilemma of whether or not they can remain in the army and still be a believer. Or a Christian who is torn with a decision to make. And I'm thankful that we have a Word of God that therefore I don't have to come with my own book of opinions, but to say, hey, I understand that you might be a little concerned or might be worried that you may not measure up to God. That doesn't have to be a concern of yours because that's the whole point of the cross. And not only is it the point of the cross, but if God has given you a passion in your heart, pursue it. But that passion has to come with a discipline because a passionate heart without discipline only becomes a reckless person. Become aimless. But a passionate person with discipline and knowing the love of the Holy Spirit, you will be given a character that has an endurance that will go through any trial because you know it will end. You know your identity is not in the trial but in the one who has called you to lead through it. Corinthians, I think, is a very powerful reality, especially in this section that we're going through because Paul is quite blunt. Well, if the resurrection doesn't happen, why believe in any of this? Why, as a church, would you put you through, would you put yourself through, uh, you know, a, a, a search to have a new pastor? Just play a motivational video. There has to be something more than the Word of God that inspires a hope that goes beyond motivation. I would like to share, you know, something that I, I, I like to share with people is that if you want to be happy, eat some ice cream. You want to be motivated, listen to Arnold Schwarzenegger or eat a steak. But if you want to have hope, it goes beyond it. That requires joy. Hope to me is an acronym, a healthy outlook on painful experiences. And again, I ask, beloved, in our daily life, how does our hope fit in to the struggles, to the pain, to the inflictions that we see? How many Psalms do we read about where it confesses to the Lord, how much longer, O Lord, will you wait? How much longer will you not do something? And yet there's a hope that all of this will amount to something, but it requires faith. Look at verse 17 in 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Well, that's pretty cut and dry. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Our point two is that we either hope in the resurrection, or we boast in the world. 
we either hope in the resurrection or we boast in the world. If you would like to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, a very common verse that many of you will know is Hebrews 11. Where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old received divine approval. By faith we understood the world was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. And again, I think the two words that get kind of passed over in verse 1 is assurance and conviction. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That there's an assurance that only faith can give. I often like to share that faith is also an acronym. Fully assured in the hope. Well, hope in what? That Christ has redeemed. You know, one of the things that many people ask me as a chaplain is that, chaplain, I know that you have 100% confidentiality. And that's true. I'm the only person in the world that cannot be subpoenaed to court. Even if you were to tell me that you're doing something illegally, wrong, morally, unethical, there is absolutely nothing that is told to me that I have to share. And that can be a lot. That can be a lot when somebody bears their complete burdens upon you. And then they ask me, how do you do it? And then I jokingly say, well, I, I listen to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the morning. I watch a motivating movie, you know, the last night, so I'm good to go. No, I like to share with them is that I do not sleep well at, life, at, at, at night because my life is easy. I sleep well because my life is secured and the hope that Christ has redeemed me. And it is the joy of the Lord that gives me strength. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We either hope in the resurrection, we boast in the world. We either believe that Christ has resurrected and promise to return again. You see, that's part of the gospel as well, that Christ returns, amen? Because without His return, well, what then of the new heaven and the new earth? There can be great assurance in one's life that when Paul says, if you believe in these things, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, then you are, behold, a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. But we live in a world that is not very trusting, do we? We live in a world that challenges everything everything that it hears. And often we might say, there is no way that that is true. Or that there is no way that that sin, nah, never. Chaplain, you don't understand. Because of me, people have died. There is no way that I can have peace in this world. And I will tell you, beloved, no matter what you are struggling with or no matter what you have, well, no matter what you will, our Lord will not remove His face from you. And there is a great assurance to that. There is a great assurance that, that puts cement 
to our souls that say, yes, for this moment that Christ has redeemed. Because if we do not go back to a simple faith as small as a mustard seed, it is easy to start asking questions, good questions, but not have the assurance that our Savior will answer them. And we either have the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Well, what do we all hope for? I hope it is heaven. When I was a young man, it was, I hope I get married before I die. I hope I can pass my test. I hope they will like me. I hope they'll be a friend. I was a military brat. Every two to three years, we always moved. I hope I won't have to redo that same grade again. But hope is also future-based. Hope has to be future-based, based upon the promises of the past, with the confidence of the past. You see, that is why you and I can live with great boldness today. Because we know as God has been the great promise keeper of the past, there we can have the assurance that he will continue to be so for the future. And therefore, come what may, it really doesn't matter. The sovereignty of God is as simple as this. Well, I hope I make the right choice. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to angry God. And and we should have those prayer moments. God, I want to do your will. The good news is, is that I guess if we make the wrong mistake, or if we make the mistake, then God is still there in His sovereignty saying, you have to lean on me. And if we make the, I guess, good decision, God is still there saying, you have to lean on me. And yet, assurance is not by itself. It comes with conviction. You see, that I am convicted that heaven is real, that I am redeemed. I've not always felt that way. There have been plenty of moments in my life where I think back and think, is any of this just like a matrix thing? Like, there's no way. There's no way. I know my heart as much as I can know it, and I know how wicked I can be. I know how selfish I can be. And yet if I stay in that doubt and not go back to what I know to be true, what I have been taught. I like the conviction to speak. Often I will hear people say this, you know, Chaplain, I know you see a lot of problems with the unit. Well, why don't you say something? <laughs> Chaplain. <laughs> I can't. Well, why not? Well, I don't have the rank. I don't have the power. I will wait to speak up when I have the security of my position. And I will tell them, I said, well, then you're the first coward to give up. Well, why do you say that? Because there's never been a successful person who decided to live boldly after they have lived quietly their whole life. And when you think about the security of Christ, it is not, well, let me just wait it out. Us chaplains, we had a, we had a, a funny joke about when somebody had a good idea that we would wait pray about it, and we would say, if Christ doesn't come back before we're supposed to execute this idea, 
Well, then I guess it's something that we should work on. Well, Christ has not come back, and I guess we now have to do something about this idea that we all agreed to do. Because there's been a conviction of our hearts as chaplains to seek, to pray, to be part of the community. You see, conviction is a powerful thing because if you support everything, you actually believe in nothing. And yet, if you believe in one thing, well, then it helps you be able to see what is evil and what is good. It never helps somebody. In all the counselings I've ever done, when somebody says, chaplain, I know I know there's something wrong, chap. Help me out. It has never helped anybody for me to say, well, just put up with it. You'll be all right. Because what does the unbelieving heart do with that? What does that soul of the person, how do they wrestle with knowing when they have been convicted of their sins for me to say, you're okay. Doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help anybody. A convicted mind be able to see the evil around and then they do something about it. They speak up about it. Because with conviction must come with the assurance. And I will tell you, as I shared with you before, Hawaii had a tremendous amount of darkness, just spiritual darkness everywhere. And yet, there was a great assurance of the love of God where every time a chaplain who was a, a near and dear brother of mine or even myself to walk through that trial, speak the word of God with humbleness and grace, as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. And lo and behold, the favor of God could be seen in that moment. Rather than saying, well, I don't know. It'll make things uncomfortable. Let it. The word of the God is true. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old received divine approval. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you see people who have a conviction of the soul and their faith grows. Convicted heart also has to be a taught heart. It has to be a heart that's willing to ask questions and not just settle. There needs to be a, a natural curiosity and wonder to the world around you to understand, you know what? There's, a, there's an evil amongst us and to call it out. i never forget the time where I had an interview. I had to perform a counseling session to a young man who was found, who had some disturbing uh, uh, pictures of, of young kids and, and the soldier was unconvicted that he had done anything wrong. He was apathetic about the whole thing. It's not real. And then for me to simply ask him, how is that working for you? If all of this does not matter, if everything that you do has no morally significance to your heart, why then are you where you are today? Let's work through that. There's a conviction to speak truth with the assurance of things hoped for. And if we only hope in our best intentions, if we have no hope in the resurrection, well then all we do then is to lean on our best 
understanding, our best opinions. All we have left is to work harder, try our best. There is nothing that happens after death. In closing, in our last point, he speaks that if we in this life only have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we just hoped in Christ to be a virtuous person, if we just hoped in Christ, as perhaps Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson was a profound understander of the word. He actually ordered the Marine Band to play worship music. Believe that, person who said separation of church and state. He actually ordered missionaries to go out with Bibles printed. Amazing feat. And yet, he only viewed Christianity as a moral compass and nothing more. Well, then there's nothing different between you and I being YMCA members who attempt to just put the Christian principles in everything that we do. You see, hope is not a principle, it's a virtue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, So faith, hope, and love abide in these three, three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, hope cannot be a principle. It has to be a virtue because it's given by the Holy Spirit alone. So if we have only but hoped in Christ for this life, that, well, things are tough, so let me go to the Jesus freak ATM machine and see what I get. Let me just kind of go through the Bible and, yeah, that's a good one. If we not hope for an inheritance that is living and good, well, then we forget this. Found in First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are guarded through faith for our salvation and ready to be revealed at the last time. You see, if we only come to church, if we only believe that as a Christian we need to hope in Christ for the struggles of this world alone, we forget that our true inheritance is in the idea of perfection and the manifestation of the glory of God, which is in heaven. We just think, well... I will finally get to a point where I'll no longer have to work and settle back. And yet Paul declares at the end of it all, knowing that he was soon to be dead, that's when Jesus declared, you good and faithful servants. Because he had a hope that there is a coming life of everlasting joy. I pray that as believers, we can live with a hope in our daily life, that you have a great amount of value and purpose to where God has placed you. And if there is a current suffering in your moment, know two things. One, this too shall pass, but there is a great character within you that God is refining you for a purpose and a reason. And hope is a vital thing for a believer to have. Because without it, we, like Adam and Eve, are simply born into a, a hopeless state of sin and misery. And there's nothing else. Please pray with me. Father God, You are a redeeming 
God, you redeem our very soul of man and you have put into us a light that puts out darkness and darkness will not overcome it. And I pray that as you have called us to be the salt of the earth, that that saltiness is the hope and the joy of your salvation that you have indeed resurrected from the dead and that you have promised to return to bring us with you in heaven And therefore, let us live with unashamed joy and conviction of our souls that will beg the world to ask us, what is that hope that you have given to your people that you live by? And in your son's name do we pray. Amen.